We've got to become people of spiritual warfare. You know, deliverance was about a third of Jesus' ministry. When you, if, you, if you didn't know anything about God, grew up on a desert island and picked up a Bible for the first time and just read the, first, the, the four Gospels about Jesus, you would conclude mainly he did three things. He preached the truth, he drove out demons, and he healed people. Right? He sprinkled in a few other miraculous things, water to wine, feeding 5,000. But again and again and again and again, he preached the truth, he healed people, and he cast out demons. Right? So deliverance ministry, spiritual warfare, is about a third of the ministry of Jesus. We are Jesus' people. He commanded his disciples, teach them, everybody else, everybody's going to come after you, to obey everything that I've commanded you. The main things he commanded them was go through Israel, right? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. He said that a few different times. Like, this is his summation. This is what it's going to look like when you bring the kingdom, right? This is what I want you to be doing. His, his mandate in Isaiah 61, when he quoted it in Luke 4 in Nazareth, he said, he said this, is, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, and he's anointed me to proclaim good news, preaching to the, cap, to the, to the poor. To proclaim liberty, freedom for the captives, and to set captives free. To literally set them free. And so, um, deliverance ministry, spiritual warfare, is a big deal. And the reason that a lot of people don't get into it is because uh, the main strategy of the enemy, which is deception. And one of the main strategies he uses, uh, in our culture especially, is he wants us to be unaware. And so the Apostle Paul said, in uh, Corinthians, I'm not going to look it up because it's going to take too long. Um, to, in one of the Corinthians books, Paul said, uh, we are not unaware of his schemes, of his schemes. Now, the word schemes there in the Greek, it's a word that means thoughts and per- evil purposes, thoughts that have evil purposes. It's part of his strategy. Then in Ephesians chapter six, uh, the apostle Paul says, put on your Take, put on the armor of God to take your stand against the, the, the devil, right? So that you can stand against his schemes. And the word schemes is used again. It's a different word in Greek. This one is methodia, and it means methods, tactics, strategies, crafty deceitfulness, cunning arts. He has tactics. He has strategies. He has war plans against you and against me. It's at a thought level, the battlefield of the heart and mind. Right? Second Corinthians chapter 10, I believe. The weapons that we use, they're, they're not the weapons of the war of the world. Though they're powerful to demolish strongholds. And we take captive every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. The battlefield of the spiritual warfare that we're living in is on the in the heart and in the mind. Okay? And so Satan has thoughts that he's planting. He has mindsets he's planting. He comes at you at a personal level. Okay, lower level demonic entities coming after you at a personal level. He has tactics and strategies for you. Go read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. That's a great book to give you. It's a parable that the Lord gave C.S. Lewis to give you an idea of what that might be like for you at a personal level. It's really, really good. He has a tactic and strategy against your family and your family line. Maybe some higher level demonic entities trying to to pull some strings there to create some problems there um, that can keep you in bondage. Um, And then he's got tactics and strategies at a community or society or national level. And that's really creating mindsets that lead whole groups of people into sin and unbelief so that he can have more power, okay? So that's his whole game. He hates God, and and he knows God's more powerful. He He can't hurt God like 
physically, that's, that's an oxymoron because God's a spirit. But he can't hurt God, like literally hurt God, right? He can't defeat God, and he knows that. God deeply loves us. So imagine you're, a su- you're Superman, and there's no kryptonite. Nothing can touch you. But you have children, and they're just normal humans. And everything could hurt them, right? And now you have a Lex Luthor, and he's coming after you, and he knows he can't touch you. So he's going to try to go after the one thing that you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, his, your children. And he's going to try to steal them away. He's going to try to kill and destroy them and ruin their lives. But man, what could be better than that? If I could deceive them and get them to worship me, to where they love me more than you, their father, and they don't even know that I make them feel like I'm real good, but they love me, and it's actually ruining their lives to love me, and I'm going to drag them to hell with me because I know that my time is short, and one day I'm going to end up in a lake of fire because I know the word of God better than you do, the enemy says today, right? The word of God says he quoted scripture to tempt Jesus. You don't think he knows the Bible inside, outside, backwards, and forwards? You don't think he knows that God keeps his word? You don't think he knows that? So when he reads Revelation, he's like, oh, shoot, I know what's coming for me. And he's angry, and he knows he can't win, and he tried to swallow up Jesus the Savior, and he failed. So he was in his anger, went off to make war against the people of God and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's in the book of Revelation because he knows his time is short. So he wants to still kill and destroy your life or deceive you into liking him and loving him and worshiping him rather than God. Why? Because it hurts God's heart. Do you know God's heart suffers? He's long-suffering. Jesus wept. He bled blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are feelings God feels eternally. Yes, he's eternally joyful, but he also has sorrow in his heart for the people that reject him, for the people that buy into the schemes of the devil, for the people that he gives this beautiful gift and they just slap it out of his hand and say, no thanks. And his heart grieves. His heart suffers. And so the enemy wants to hurt God's heart by harming our lives. Okay? There is a war going on. And we're going to be talking about it probably for the next few months. And the Lord's been laying on my heart. We need to really... I believe what's going to be happening... Um, We're going to have a guest speaker next weekend, and then probably starting the next week in May. um, The Lord gave me a word, and I'm working on it, uh, a systematic teaching of spiritual warfare and deliverance. And he gave me 101, 201, 301, 401, and there's three sessions in each, apparently. And I wrote some outlines, but that's about all I know at this point. I'm like, that's going to take like uh, like three months to get through there, Lord. (laughs) And he's like, yep. And this culture is so unaware of the enemy schemes that the church is under siege and getting its butt kicked. And they have no idea why they're suffering because they refuse to admit there is an enemy. So you need to talk about it for a while and you need to keep talking about it. And your hand is going to fuse to the sword just like the mighty men of David. We're going to talk about this so much it's going to get so ingrained in us that it becomes a part of us that we never forget it. Our hand will fuse to the sword. What is the sword? The word of God. And then we're going to have sword training. We're going to learn how to use that sword to go on the offense. Because that's what we talked about last week. We are called to go on the offense. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 
The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Gates are defensive structures. The enemy has us thinking we need to huddle in churches and build walls and gates and keep the enemy out. We have whole denominations that are structured that way. It, it is, that is not what Jesus wants. A church should be a training center where, like, we're in boot camp, and then we go out there to storm the gates of hell in our community. That's what it should be. That's what it should be. That's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus did. He wants every single one of his people empowered to storm the gates of hell. Could you walk up to a man who has a legion, which is probably at least a hundred, maybe a thousand demons in him, who other people have tried to help, but he, they chain him and he's so strong demonically that he breaks the chains. He's out of his mind, so that's a little scary. Could do or say anything, right? And apparently rips his clothes off and runs around naked and is out of his mind and lives in a graveyard cemetery. If the Lord sent you to him, are you confident enough like, oh, I'm going to help him? Do you have compassion in your heart for that man? Because de- you're, you're like scared of the demon, but that's a man. That's a, that's a child of God. <laughs> Do you care about him? Do you have a compassion for him? Suffering. Suffering. With a legion of, of spiritual parasites, because that's what they are. Ruling his life. And if you, if, you, if you went to him or if God led you to him or if you bumped into him in, at Kroger out of nowhere, do you have the compassion for him and the confidence to go after setting him free right then and there? If not, why not? It's a good question. It's probably because of ignorance. I, I don't know. I don't know about these things. Stick with us for the next few months. You'll know about these things. You'll gain confidence in these things. Demons and spiritual forces of evil, for the, for the child of God, for the, for the, for the man or woman of God, they're, they're no big deal. Shoe fly, don't bother me. It's like that. No big deal. Jesus said you'll trample on snakes and scorpions, Luke 10, 18 and 19. This is how, he said, go drive out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel. They went out and did it. Many evil spirits submitted to them. Now, they're brand new. They're, these were fishermen like a year ago. That's like, like you're a car mechanic, you're a nurse, and you, get, you, get, you come to a church, and a man of God trains you and said, go drive out demons, and you go do it. Immediately, you're able to do it. And you come back and like, this is awesome. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know, I know. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. To overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. One of the biggest lies of modern church is don't get into that spiritual warfare stuff. You'll get attacked in a greater way. We always get attacked. Aren't you aware of that already? You're always getting attacked. If you don't talk about it and get trained in it, you're just going to get your butt kicked all the time. That's all that's going to mean. That is not from the word of God. Don't get into the spiritual warfare stuff. The word of God says we're not unaware of the schemes and tactics and strategies. You need to armor up. 
So you can take your stand against them. But when a pastor or a church says, don't get into that stuff, I don't know about that stuff, that's a fear-based statement. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a demonic teaching. What do I mean by demonic? Do I mean that pastor's demonic? No. I mean a demonic spirit invented that and somewhere he heard it or they're speaking it to him and he thinks it's God because it kind of makes sense to him. And then he says it. When he, he agrees with it, that makes a binding. There's a binding on his face so he won't teach on it. Then he speaks it out and the church doesn't want to hear about it. So say he retires the next week. Then the next guy come in and like, hey, we're going to preach about spiritual warfare. Half the church wants to leave. Why? There's a binding on them of unbelief and the enemy has influence. You should leave. You should leave. Why does he have that binding? Why does he have that influence? Because the last pastor gave him an open door. When he agreed with the lie of the enemy instead of the word of God and said, hey, we shouldn't get into that spiritual warfare stuff. Then he retires. The next guy comes in and says, hey, let's talk about spiritual warfare. We're not supposed to be doing this. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. We should leave. Get a different church. Let's go. This is happening at a catastrophic level in America, and not just on this topic, on many topics. Don't get into prophecy. Don't get into speaking in tongues. Word curse, word curse, binding. Give the enemy authority in the church of God. Read the word of God. Read the word of God. Let it speak. Let him tell you. And what you'll find is if you truly surrender your heart to God and go, show me, show me, show me, he'll start showing you then you have a choice. You have a responsibility. You'll know it's God. Then you have a responsibility to agree with his word. And here's what you will know innately in your heart. You'll know there's a choice. My American Christian, my American Christian friends aren't going to like this. Not the unbelievers at work. They, they think I'm weird for just going to church. They don't care if we speak in tongues and prophesy and try to heal people and stuff. They would probably read the Bible and go, well, that's what Jesus did. Okay, whatever. It's all crazy. I just don't believe. It's not that. It's your American Christian friends who have all these bindings all over them, believing the lies of the enemy instead of the word of God. They're going to persecute me. And you'll, you'll innately know that. And you, it's called fear of man. Then you have a choice. Am I going to obey them or am I going to obey the word of God? And if you step in and you go, you give me whatever gift you want. And God's like, cool, here's tongues. And you can't help it. So strong you can't help it. This is what happened to me. I was trying to pray in English over my my wife. I was like, (laughs) I gave him permission. I don't care anymore what people think. You do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And you know you're going to get persecuted. You know people are going to leave. You know friends and even family are going to get weird around you and avoid you and not want to be around you. You have a choice to make. Who are my mother and brothers, says the Lord? Who are my mother and brothers? I tell you, here are my mother and brothers. Those that hear and obey the word of God. And he will send you to Nazareth first. Mark reads that he went preaching and teaching, general statement, next few verses. He went to Nazareth. It is assumed and implied that Nazareth is one of the first places he went to preach. He went to his hometown. Why? Because if you can believe God over what your family or friends think, the people who care the most about you and you care the most about, and if, and if they are going to come against you for, for just 
taking Jesus at his word, if you can stand against them, you can stand against anyone. He'll send you to Nazareth first. He will go, do you want your family and friends to think well of you? Or do you want me to think well of you? Unless you hate your father and mother for my sake, you cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus. What does that mean? It's a Jewish idiom. In in comparison to your love for me, it would be like hating them. And unless you feel that way, you can't be my disciple. Why? Because you can profess with your mouth, you love me and you'll follow me. But if I'm not reserved as your greatest authority, there will be times when well-meaning friends and family start to speak against what I'm doing in your life. And you will be tempted to listen to them, to come under their authority, and it will quench what I, true Jesus, Holy Spirit, am trying to do in you. And that's what we have happening at a catastrophic level right here in the good old U.S. of A. A lot of other countries don't have a problem with that. Why? Because if you say you're going to be a Christian, go to church, first of all, it's in secret because you'll get arrested if you go. So if you get in that water, oh, the government hates you, everybody hates you, you've made a big decision here. So they get mostly persecution from the outside. But in America, we have so much idolatry. So many churches and Christians bound up. And we all love to hear the quotes, oh, what God could do with a man who is solely surrendered to him and on fire. And many of the Christians who say that, when they actually see one of those men, they start to criticize and persecute him. Because his faith looks so radical. And we just don't think God does that stuff anymore. We need to repent. And hear the word of God today. You have to choose. This is not my sermon. And the Lord is saying, keep going. You have a choice to make. We have to choose. Do you want Jesus for who he is? Holy Spirit, come. Do you want that? You want a Pentecost? You want to see America saved? Most Christians in America, they want to see America saved in the way they want to see America saved. And God has a pattern. And God has a way. And he wants to see America saved. He doesn't care about the the government structure at being saved. (laughs) He cares about Americans being saved. He he cares about people. And yes, he wants them saved. And yes, if we all got saved, America would look very different. And we'd say, America's been saved. Culture would look different. Government would look different. But so many American Christians, they want that while having a nice, tidy, domesticated faith. Dignified. We want a dignified American Christianity. We don't want to get messy. We want to come to church and have it be all nice and hunky-dory not get too, oh, that person's yelling. Mm, 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 mm. Not none of that. This is as far as my hands go up, all right? So no one can see them because I'm so full of the fear of man and I just want to be respectable. And when I read that passage about David taking off his outer garments and dancing in his underwear before the Lord, 
and saying, I will become more undignified than this. Man, I've just never really gotten that. Jeez, I wonder why. Because I can't even get my hand up far enough that someone else might actually see me because I'm too embarrassed to worship my God at church. Now, how many, some of you are like, that's not our church. And some of you sit in the back half of the room and you're so proud of those who sit up. Look at them go. Look at them raise their hands. But you're too afraid. And that's why you sit back there. And how many churches do you know where nobody does that? Nobody, everybody's afraid of expressing themselves to God. You ever been in a worship service in, in Africa? I mean, they're chanting and dancing around the room. Everybody. And it's awesome. And if the most conservative Christian in America went over, they'd be like, this is so great. Bless the Lord. I'll try to, I'll do my white version. Okay, all right. And you think it's great because it's Africa. Well, that's what they do in Africa. But when I get back here, oh, we don't do that. Chosen, frozen. Nope. Oh, that's weird. Oh, I don't like that guy. Hope he quits coming. Pastor, you're going to talk to him. He's interrupted. It's not orderly. It's not orderly. I'm going to quote the scriptures against him. But when I go to Africa, it's totally fine. We need to repent. Churches should be training centers. Church should be the place where we feel safe to use our spiritual gift of praying in the spirit. The people of God should stand in awe of it. Wow, that's awesome. I kind of want that gift. Lord, will you give it to me? Not judge it. It's what the Lord wants. Churches should be the place where when we, we feel safe to kneel down in worship. It should be the place for that. Yeah, if you're at work, you might feel a little weird. Like, maybe I shouldn't do that here. People might think, yeah, because it's work. It's not the designated holy place. There's a lot of unbelievers around. But in a place where we say we believe in Jesus, and he says, come, bow down. Let us worship the Lord together in the Psalms. And if you're feeling that and you want to do that, and you're just, oh. And in our churches, we're afraid to do that. Why is that? Why is that? That's a good question. It's because of spiritual warfare. It's because of fear of the man. It's because of the thoughts and strategies and evil purposes of the enemy. And he's really smart and he's really good at what he does. And he knows that people have the inherent image of God imprinted on them. And if he said, oh, worship me, wear a red jumpsuit and slit a goat's throat and drink the blood. Ah, you would be like, no, that's gross. Okay, just believe all these lies. So your church is a synagogue of Satan and you don't even know it. Go read Revelation, letter to the church. I will make those who think they are Jews but are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. I'll make, what he's saying is I'll make those who think they know me and believe in me, but they really don't. They're actually believing lies of the enemy, and they're actually a synagogue, a temple of Satan. I'll make them come and bow at your feet and confess that I love you. Those who are persecuted for believing the word, for standing firm, for worshiping with abandon and getting undignified. And they get persecuted by these Pharisee Christians their whole life. And Jesus said, one day I'm going to make all those Pharisee Christians, I'm going to open their eyes with revelation knowledge to the point 
that they realize the reason you did all that was because I loved you and I was giving you grace and you were responding freely to my grace and you were not, you did not have bad motives. You had a pure heart before me and that's why you were so recklessly abandoned to me and they will see that and they will grieve the way they treated you and they'll come and kneel down and confess God loves you. You know what's better than an enemy falling down in front of you and saying, wow, you really love God. You know what's better than that? Wow, God really loves you. He loves you. You're favored. Everybody wants to love God. There's few people that are so favored by God that people go, wow, God loves that guy. That's what will make your enemies do. Maybe it'll be in this life. Maybe not. Maybe you get hated till they put you on a cross, literally. Maybe you get avoided. Maybe you don't get invited to the family functions. Maybe, maybe their words are smooth as oil, but they're really sharp swords. Because when you're around, hey, how's it going? Yeah, okay, yeah, how you been doing? All right, cool, good to see you, brother. And then when you're not there, that ain't of God. It's not of God. Word curse, word curse, word curse, word curse, slander. Maybe that's what you get your whole life. (laughs) And you don't get the reward till heaven. He has some reward on this earth. He says that in his word. (sighs) But the great reward is not till heaven. So let us not be looking for that on this earth. And if he has for you or me to be the next Billy Graham and we bear so much fruit and the world sees all the fruit that men come in droves to applaud us and tell us how great we are, well, praise God. But maybe your calling is like Peter. Hey, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, someone else is going to dress you and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death Peter was going to die. They're going to kill you, Peter. What about him? What about John, the one you love? The Billy Graham. Favor, 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 favor. Everybody like him. Everybody like him. All right, all right, all right. Success in ministry. Woo! Oh, Peter. Um, Hate him. Kill him. Yeah. All right. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. What what about James? Was God not pleased with him? He got killed early on. Church was praying for James. Save James. God didn't save him. They killed him. Government killed him. Peter's in prison. Oh, Lord, save Peter. Sends an angel. Unlocks the door. He brings him out. Glory be to God. What about Stephen? Dude just gets saved. He's a recent convert. New believer. Preaches the gospel through Moses, the story of Moses, to the Pharisees. And does it so beautifully. And a little twist at the end. (laughs) And they were like, man, this guy's brilliant. We love this guy. This is a great prayer. Wait a second. What's this twist at the end? Oh, we suck? (laughs) Kill him! (laughs) Brand new believer gets stoned to death. God doesn't stop it. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. 
Scripture says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's he waits for the enemies to be made a footstool. He's just sitting there waiting. But when he looks down and goes, oh, look at this guy, Stephen. He's taking them all on. Oh, they're going to kill him. Man, I love this. He stands up. Standing ovation from Jesus. Come on in, man. Come on into the kingdom. Remember my, remember my Easter sermon? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, if I depart right now, that's better by far. Stephen got an early welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Come on in, boy. That was awesome. I'm so proud of you. And as they're stoning him, oh, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. God might have a Billy Graham anointing calling for you. And he might give you favor to draw people to your ministry so that many get saved, healed, believe, and all that. Or he might have a calling where you go to Sudan and wherever and get abducted by Islamic extremists and they behead you on YouTube. And people are inspired by your faith. You might be a Jim Elliot. I want to reach this unreached tribe. And he lands and the day, first day off the plane, he gets speared to death. God, what's the purpose in that? Blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church. And God uses the Billy Graham. And God uses the Jim Elliot. And then his wife goes in after. And his wife evangelizes. And his wife has love and forgiveness. And they can't fathom it because they've only known tribal warfare their whole lives. And the whole tribe gets saved. And the whole tribe agrees that they killed Jim Elliot. Wish we hadn't done that. It doesn't matter. You'll see him in heaven. And it won't matter because you're going to heaven. Because one woman had radical faith. Because her husband had radical faith to go, I don't care if you kill me first time we meet. I don't care if I'm the one that ever gets to preach the gospel to you. And we have a generation of young men and women coming into the church and, and we're preaching messages like, hey, follow your dream. Do what you, God loves you. He's gonna, you delight in him and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We kind of skip over that you delight in him. God will give you a desire of your heart. Don't follow your dream, follow God's dream, but it's really your dream in disguise. And God has a great calling. We prophesy greatness over people all the time. God has a great calling for your life. And it always comes out as, you're the next Billy Graham. Millions of people, woo! Stages, platforms, this is amazing. I wonder if anybody ever prophesied that over Jim Elliott. I wonder if they said to him, oh, you have a great calling. And in your young 20s, as you first step off that plane, they're going to spear you to death and you won't get to utter one word of the gospel. Bless you. So, uh, Stephen, you have a great calling. The moment, the first pre sermon you ever preach, they're going to murder you. Wow, amazing, great call. You're going to get a standing ovation from Jesus, though. I feel like we tempt young people into the ministry with greatness. But we forget Jesus' definition of greatness. Greatest among you is the servant of all. And I'm convinced, do you know the people that God raises up in great ways? They're people who were willing to be Jim Elliot's. They're people who are willing to be Mother Teresa's. I'll just wash everybody's feet my whole life. If that's what you want, it'll bless you. I'm just a servant. I'm just humble. And then God goes, 
They're like a Gideon. <laughs> and God goes, no, we're done with that now. Your training's complete. Now I want you to go deliver this nation. And they're like, oh, me? What? I'm just a servant. God goes, no, I can trust you. I can trust your heart. I need people I can trust. Because those Billy Grahams that I raise up, if they're not fully surrendered to me, it, the, the anointing and the success will ruin them and lead them away from me. And we see that all the time, don't we, in the news. So he knows what he's doing. Jesus. Can I preach the rest of this in 44 minutes? <sighs> I think I can. So that was sermon one. It's an answer to prayer. I'm realizing. I've been praying the last few weeks. Let zeal for your house consume me. I want to be consumed. Like a moth to the flame. The fire in your eyes. You draw me right in. And it's going to burn me up. That sounds, that sounds real pretty, doesn't it? Try it. Then you're responsible to tell the truth, and you will be hated. There's a choice. I've made my choice. So, if you want that, just say that prayer. Let zeal for your house consume me, God. Let zeal for your house consume me. You want to see your face. We want to see your face. So there's something blocking our vision, and it's all the veils, bondages of the enemy. So let's talk about spiritual warfare the rest of our time together. That's where we started. It's so important. So last week, not in this service, but the second, we talked about going all the offensive and we talked about the siege, Deuteronomy chapter 20. Is, it's how to wage war for the nation of Israel as they go in the promised land. The promised land is a true parable for us in our spiritual journey. And so, so many lessons we can learn about it, the way Jesus operates with us on a personal and, and community level. Um, but Deuteronomy 20 says, you know, when you go to war, I want you to do it this way. And he says, make an offer of peace to the cities that you're going to wage war against. And if they don't surrender, then you are to lay siege to those cities, lay siege, siege warfare, surround the strongholds of the enemy. And he gives us a pattern. And we talked about Joshua chapter six. If, 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 you, if you were in first service last week, you're like, no, we didn't. And you're correct. But in second service last week, go back and watch that sermon. <laughs> and we did. Okay. And so that's Jericho is the pattern, siege warfare. We surround the city. They march around it for six days. And then on the seventh day, so for seven days, and that's a prophetic pattern of prayer and intercession and worship. That is the warfare. Leonard Ravenhill said, prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle that you're waging the war in the spirit. Everything we know and see was spirit first. God spoke everything into existence. Okay. That smartphone in your pocket, where did it start? An idea, unseen. What's an idea? Whole other sermon. But think about that. It's, a, it's spirit. And then this man, Steve Jobs, and his company, and other people with ideas, and they got together and brought that idea, vision, to reality. They manifested it. Made it visible. Made it real. 
in reality. And so when we pray, we wage war in the spirit and in spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is realer than this. Once you win the battle in the spirit, well, then you very simply take over in the natural. But the battle's already won, and so it's easy. And we talked about how most people try to wage war in the natural, but they've not won the war in the spirit, and so they don't win. They don't even win. So you're rebellious teen. You're like, you're going to church, and you fight with them, and they go, no, and they become more of a rebel. Why? Did you pray about it? And we talked about circle them in prayer for a week or a month or seven months and then have that conversation. Shoot, the walls might fall down before you even have a conversation. They'll be begging you to come to church. Go look up Corey Russell and read his story. And that's what happened to him as he was actively a drug addict. And so were all his friends and his Pentecostal praying mama. Uh Uh-huh. Friend's mama, actually. And he, his friend got radically saved. He told him about Jesus while he's actively still a drug addict. And the moment he hears about Jesus, he gets radically saved and radically baptized in the Holy Spirit all at the t- same time. And at 20 years old, devoted himself to a life of prayer. And he's still living it and going around preaching about it. And I think within six months, their whole school, basically the whole school got saved. Radical revival through their whole school. Why? Because those Pentecostal praying mamas won the battle in the Spirit. And so, prayer, worship, intercession, that's the season we're in. God's called us to a labor of intercession. And we're in that. We're laboring in intercession. And man, it is awesome. But it's, it's going to bring about God manifesting a movement of God in the spirit. Okay? We're, we're filling up the bowls and they're about to tip. Okay? So, Deuteronomy 20, he's laying out, I want you to siege. I want you to lay siege. We're going on the offensive. Okay, but so much of the church, as I've said, and and probably many of you are still wrestling with the own siege in your life. We're under siege from the enemy. We're surrounded by enemy forces. We're hunkered down in our pits and in our caves, and we've got our shields of faith up. And we're like, oh, try not to die for the next 80 years. Try not to lose faith for the next 80 years. And that's what we think spiritual warfare is. Resist the devil. I'm resisting. Oh, it is hard. It's because you don't know how to fight back. And because you never take a swing with your sword, he just keeps coming. It's like an army that just has shields, but you don't have a gun. It's like an army that has a shield, but you don't have a sword. And that's the American church. And God's like, enough is enough. Somebody prophesied over me this week, like, you have a nuclear sword. I'm like, yeah, because that's Jesus' sword. (laughs) It's like a lightsaber on nuclear steroids. Like, watch out. I mean, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so Judges chapter 6, we're going to walk through this really quickly, and then we're going to go after some stuff. Judges 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves, mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. My goodness, the enemy ruined their livelihoods. Warfare affected their jobs, families on a daily basis at every level. That's what the spiritual warfare is doing in your life and in my life and in this country. It says they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them. They've invaded and they've surrounded. It was impossible to count them or the camels, hundreds of thousands of warriors, enemies. They invaded the land to ravage it. 
Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried to the Lord for help. It says they, they, God gave them into their hands for seven years. They're not crying for help till the end of the seven years, okay? So it's good they finally cried for help, but they were so full of unbelief, it took them seven years to do so. Prayer should be for the well-trained spiritual warrior. Prayer is the first response, not the last response. And God will sit there and if you, if you don't seek him for help, he'll sit there and let you go through it until you realize, oh, I need God. And I've seen people wait seven years. I've seen people wait a few decades, 40 years. Okay, finally, maybe God's real and I'll go to church. Or you just get so desperate that you're either going to die or God's real. So help me, God. And you're out there screaming at the stars and you find out God is real and he does come through. And that's great. Praise God for his grace in the last resorts and the hail Jesus moments. We don't hail Mary around here. We hail Jesus. Because Mary bore a son who tore the veil so we have direct access. We don't have to go through other people or other saints. Praise God for the cloud of witnesses. But I want Jesus, the mighty warrior, and he's mine. And I get to go into the holy of holies, my Bible says. Anyways, verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, listen to what God does. He sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave them their, your, uh, you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. End of that part of the story. God's life is horrific. We're all in bondage. The enemy's sieging us and he's winning. And life is terrible. The economy is terrible. The country is being ruined. I could be preaching about America right now. I am preaching about America right now. So what's the first thing God does? He sends a prophet. A man of God who is not compromised. Who God gives a message to. And just like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Oh, they ain't going to like this. They're going to kill me if I say this. You going to say it? Or am I going to find someone else? Why? Because to deal with the problem, you got to know what the problem is. And they were unaware of what the real problem is. So God raises up a prophet, gives him a message, a man who won't compromise, a man who says, you can kill me, I'll just be with him. And I'm kind of tired of this life anyway. And it ain't getting any better. So what do we got left to lose? But Jesus, anyway. And so he preaches the truth. And what does he tell them? So what God says, look what I did for you. And I said, don't worship the gods of the peoples around you, but you didn't listen to me. What's God doing? He's diagnosing the problem. All you see is the physical enemies. All you see is the political enemies. All you see is the economy is ruined. All you see is your life sucks. And you're raging about the government. And you're raging about this. And you're raging about all these natural things. Why is this happening, says the Lord? Let me tell you why. The physical problems, the economy problems, they have a spiritual root. My people have not been listening to me. They've been in bed with the enemy. They're full of idolatry. It's a spiritual problem. And when you make agreements with the enemy, it's like, Lord, why is the devil attacking me? Because you opened your door and invited him in. That's why. That's what God's saying. I promised you 
that if you stayed faithful to me and believed me and did what I wanted you to do, you would never have enemies invade your land. You would always overcome them. You'd be blessed in every way. The fruit of your womb would be blessed. You'd never miscarry. You'd never get sick even, God said in the old, old covenant uh, blessings. But you haven't listened to me. What's God doing? God, why is this happening? Well, it ain't me. Perhaps you have some self-evaluation to do. And God's doing this because he knows, hey, Gideon, I could, I could jump to Gideon, which is where we're going, right? I could jump to that. God can anoint a warrior. Go save him. Nuclear sword, one swipe, enemy's gone. Cool, we're free, awesome. But it had a spiritual root. And they go right back to the same idolatry and the same enemy comes right back in. So God's got to deal with the root of the problem. And praise God, he has a plan. But Amos says he doesn't do anything without first announcing it to his prophets. And that's his strategy still today. Whenever he wants to do something, do take action on the earth to make real change, real transformation. God wants to, believe me, more than you and I want to. But before he does, he will first raise up a prophet to speak truth, to make people aware. Because for the people of God, the problem is us. Even for the culture we live in, America, it's such a Christian nation. Oh, Christian nation, America. And I already preached this, I think, last week. I don't remember, but I've preached it before. Last few years especially, I've been preaching it, sprinkling it in here and there. Why is America ruined? Why is it all in shambles right now? And it is, and it's being ruined. It's being spoiled as we speak right now. And if you're not aware of that, you don't have your face in this book enough. That's an iPad, but you know what I mean. The Bible. It's my Bible. It is being ruined. Why is that? The unbelievers? No, they don't even know. They don't even know what's going on. They're ignorant. It's not their fault. The church. We're supposed to be the salt and light, and the salt is losing its saltiness. Well, whose fault is that? Go read the Old Testament prophets. The nation of Israel went through the same thing. Whose fault was it? God said it's the priests and the pastors and the preachers and the teachers who are compromising. And they're letting my people get all tangled up in idolatry. The essence of idolatry is not unbelief. It is, oh, I worship God. I worship Yahweh. I worship Jesus. I just worship all these other things too. And I agree with all the ideologies of the culture too. I agree with all the false gods and I worship Baal and Ashtoreth and all these other horrific things too. And I'm like, oh, God's gracious. He'll forgive us. And it's all fine. And really I say that because I have so much fear of man and I just want to live how I want to live and it feels easier. But that's actually the root of all the problems. And when pastors compromise, then we get churches that are compromised. And we have churches that are compromised, then we got a whole culture that has no clue what's going on because there's no salt and light. That's why that great verse we always want to say at the National Day of Prayer, Pray for America, Second Chronicles 7.14, if what does he say? If the culture repents and turns to Christ, no. If my people, who should know better, by the way, if my people, who are called by my name, says God, will repent, turn from their wicked ways, turn, seek my face, pray, then I will come forgive their sin and hear and heal their land. 
I'll heal the whole, I'll heal the whole land if just the remnant of my people cleans house, gets devoted, gets uncompromised, gets the idolatry out. It's Jesus or bust. And, and either the whole nation's going to get saved or they're going to kill me. I don't know which, but that's what God wants. That devotion. And here's why. It's his strategy. Because he wants uncompromised, laid down lovers, burning ones, make, being the ones making disciples because you reproduce what you are. And when that's what you are, you make uncompromised, the real true lovers of Jesus. But if you're all bound up, preaching lies, preaching strongholds, comforting people in their strongholds. You're not setting captives free. You're deceiving people. Pray a prayer and you can be forgiven and go to heaven, but your sexuality that God says is sinful, it's really not and it's fine and you stay in that sin. You stay in that stronghold. It's actually a demonic force in your life that's why when you get the surgery, many of them are saying, high percentage, I still don't feel right even in this modified body because it's a spiritual force. It's a spiritual problem. And if you know that, and I can't unknow it, then it would be unloving for me to not reveal that. It would be hateful, deceitful, wicked, evil to say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your porn addiction. Don't worry about sleeping together unmarried. God, God's just so, we're all going to get saved and everybody's going to go to heaven. Just believe in Jesus, say a prayer, and everything will be fine. Idolatry. Golden calf Christianity. That's what that is. It's a counterfeit. When they made the golden calf coming out, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. This is the Lord, it says, and Lord's all capped. This is, it's using the name of God. This is Yahweh. This golden calf's Yahweh. And Yahweh's up there with Moses like, you better get down there because that ain't me. And when you define God, you start worshiping him how you want, and it leads to sin, debauchery, and evil on a catastrophic level because the people that are supposed to be stopping it and being salt and light are approving of it. That's what's happening in this country. And a lot of it comes down to the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And that's part of the enemy's strategy, unbelief. When I got filled with the Spirit radically, and I, things were flying out of my mouth, they weren't even being thought in my mind, flying out of my mouth. And I was speaking in tongues and switching to English and prophesying back and forth for like a couple of days. <laughs> without stopping. <laughs> it was crazy. It was awesome. It was amazing. I was full of the awe of God. The word awe in scripture means fearful. And I was like, whoa. And my mind was going, what is happening to me? While it was happening. And one of the things that came out of my mouth is that basically, I'm paraphrasing now, the Lord chooses to use spiritual gifts and he wants that because it humbles us. He wants little children of faith. And he said, he doesn't want Pharisees. And if you're willing to have faith that goes, I'll speak in tongues. I'll, let's, let's actually believe God could just heal this person if we lay a hand and say a prayer. Childlike faith. God can do anything. 
this guy's getting a word. He says it's of God. Let's, it's called prophecy, I guess. Let's, let's let him share it, and then we'll test it and see if it's the Lord. And then when he does, it's like, Whoa! and people get saved. And people go, that's me. He's talking about me. How does he know? God's really real. Ah! But unbelief causes us to say, God doesn't do that anymore. We quench spiritual gifts. We don't even really believe the supernatural. Deliverance ministry, that's not for us. That was just for Jesus. Is that an assumption or is that from Scripture? Show me the Scripture where he said, some of the things I'm commanding the apostles, the disciples, are not for all the disciples. There's no verse. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What did he command? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, drive out demons. And then a lot of other stuff. And when he said love one another, he said that to the apostles. So why do we go, well, he said it to the apostles when they were by themselves, but that's really for all of us. We assume that. Why do we assume that? Because he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, he also said, drive out demons and heal the sick. So show me the Bible verse where he delineates. He doesn't. So I've just proven to you the biblical foundation for all of this. And then you can look at experience that backs it up. Because if it's true, we should see it in experience. And we do. And the majority of Christians on the earth are charismatic, spirit-filled Christians who believe in miracles and see them. Isn't that interesting? But in modern Western European nations like America, the prevailing thought is, God doesn't really do that anymore. Is that you or is that the scripture? You tracking with me? And so if you, he can, most cessationists are also like, ooh, we don't get into spiritual warfare. Well, that's, that probably is the Holy Spirit keeping you from that because you're not equipped, because you don't even believe it exists, because you think you can't do it, because you can't, because you've never humbled yourself to learn from Jesus. Holy Spirit took the gloves off today, guys. I didn't plan to come in here and yell at you. You blame him. So, God raises up Gideon. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. They argue. Gideon's like, why, God? Oh, you're a mighty warrior. Go save this nation. I'm raising you up. So, chapter 6 Gideon finally realizes it's God, okay? Jump to verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of its height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon did it, okay? Well, that's what that, the rest of that means. He did it. He did it at night because he was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because the townspeople, who were the townspeople? Israelites, his father's own family. We're going to kill him if he touched the Asherah pole and Baal altar. And he knew that. He knew how strong the stronghold was in the people of God. That if I do this in the daylight, oh my goodness, they'll kill me. So I'm going to do it at night. And guess what? The next morning they still saw the effects and they wanted to kill him. God will send you to Nazareth first. You will be challenged by your own friends and family first. He's testing you. If you can't handle that, you can't handle the legions and you can't handle the principalities. And God told me a few years ago to start preaching on this, 2019, really, really strongly. 
He's like, here's your next several sermons. And it was like every cultural hot button topic. I was like, oh, this is going to rock the boat. This is going to stir some feathers. Ruffle. Stir, stir some waters. Ruffle feathers. You ruffle feathers and stir waters and rock boats. This is going to ruffle feathers. You know what I think one of my main spiritual gifts is? Encouragement. Like Joel Osteen. I think he's an encourager. Perhaps he wasn't meant to breathe fire, but to just pour water and encourage his whole life. Maybe God gave him that big, brilliant smile for a reason. Maybe he got a word from God that said, just preach love and encouragement your whole life. That's all I want coming out of you. That's what I want you to do. And then he raises up other people. Maybe me. I don't know. I don't know what mine is yet. To breathe fire and say, I hate your sin. Then we get all the Christians who want to crucify Joel Osteen. He doesn't preach about the cross enough. He doesn't talk about this enough. He doesn't talk about that enough. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you do. You probably don't encourage enough. Anyways, one of my main spiritual gifts, I know, is encouragement. I love to encourage. I really do. I love the positive messages because it makes people feel good. I love to make people feel good. I feel good. When I make people feel good, it feels good. You think cancer doctors like to make people feel good? I think they do. Because we're wired like that. But how often do they have to go in and go, man, I'm so sorry. It's terminal. You got cancer. It's really bad. I'm so sorry. But there's a treatment. There's, there's a chance. And if you're willing to go with us on this, it'll be hard, but we're going to fight this. you willing to go with me. And man, if you're all fire and brimstone and there's no love and grace, you're James and John, sons of thunder. And Jesus is like, hold up. We ain't of that spirit. <laughs> That's the judgmental spirit masquerading. But man, preachers are like cancer doctors. And we want to make you feel good, but there needs to be a surgery first. And you got cancer, and you need to get it out. And it's created by your compromise with the culture. And we got to get it out. So let me finish my story. God said a few years ago, he started preaching on all this stuff. It's really hard. Oh, by the way, at the same exact time, start going after the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And really, like, in your services, start going after that. So really seeking that. Okay. Man, we're just going to, like, make everybody mad. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Okay. Because if you get mad about that, it's really your demons getting mad. And because they have strongholds in your life and holds in you, they have that influence in that place in your life. So when it gets touched on by even the Holy Spirit or a man of God who's like, I'm just telling you what the Lord said to say. Actually, I'm just reading the Bible today. (laughs) And you get all ticked off. Why? Because you've already agreed with the culture. You're not agreeing with the word of God. So you don't get convicted. You get angry. And in your pride, you're like, well, I'm out. I'm going to go find a church that's affirming what I like, what I feel, what I believe. That's a scary statement. I've had people email me that statement. We're going to find a church that's what I want to hear. 
is what they're saying. That's scary. I want a church that preaches the Lord. And so when you quench unbelief and Holy Spirit gifts, you quench discernment, spiritual discernment, not worldly wisdom discernment. Did you know that in Hitler's Germany, the majority of people were Christian people? How in the heck could a Christian nation allow that to happen? They are all going to church. Did you also know Hitler started making rules for the church and giving them to priests and preachers and teachers and pastors? And you can't say this anymore and you can't say that anymore. And a whole lot of them listened. Strongholds in the church, watered down, diluted, polluted. Strongholds, listening to devils who know they can't get you to deny total faith in Jesus. So let's just ruin your faith and have you be an idolater instead of a worshiper. That's how that happens. And this country's a little more free than that. We have safeguards naturally that protect one man rising to power like that. But oh my goodness, the same spiritual forces of evil are raging to ruin us from the inside out. And a whole lot of Christians and churches are agreeing with the ideologies. Why is that? I would love to see a study, but in my own study, a majority of those agreeing are cessationist churches that don't focus on the Holy Spirit. So when you quench spiritual gifts, you quench Holy Spirit, you quench the spirit of discernment to discern spiritual things. So you just believe what the media tells you. much to talk about and teach on. I had a plan today to go after some some big things. And here we are. And we don't have time to adequately cover it. And I've had a few prophetic words from a few men of God. And then my own experiences about the whole systematic teaching of spiritual warfare and deliverance. And so last week, this week, and next week, it's like a preface. It's get ready. This is real. And we're going to start really talking about it. <clears throat> and the Lord wants over the next few months to really give you understanding into the spiritual realities of what's really going on. And we're going to dig into nuts and bolts of this is what Bible says, okay? Scripture says, and then this is how it works. <laughs> and it's going to be fun. And we're going to tell testimonies and stories of spiritual warfare, people getting delivered. Horror movies are of the devil. You know that, right? If you have them, get rid of them. Okay, if you stream them, stop streaming them, cancel your streaming service, cleanse your TV, go to our website, freepeople.church slash pray or prayer, whichever one. There's house, house blessing prayer, and you need to repent first and cleanse your house of those items and those things and then pray through it like this. 
Because prayer will, you render prayer ineffective when you live in a way that agrees with the enemy. If you're not changing your life, if you're not repenting, if you're not getting rid of the porn and the horror movies and all the crap, you can pray till you're blue in the face. If you, you're not turning from it. So you pray, and it's, I guess it's not ineffective. It, it, it'll work for that little window of time, but then you go, it's still there, and you go right back to it, and then you're right back in the same situation. They don't have to leave because you're not cleansing them. Okay? Do you understand? What I, and you keep opening the door. <sighs> Man, so much to share. I love this topic, and um, I guess we're going to talk about it for like 12 weeks. I don't know. It's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be fun and uh, enjoyable. And then we're going to practice on ourselves, okay? We're going to practice on ourselves. And you're going to get more free than you knew was possible to be free. You ever, like, do some workout or you work at the house all day and you're, you know, I was cutting down a bunch of brush at our new house for, like, I did it for, like, four or five hours straight. I had a chainsaw thing that went on the end of my weed eater. And I, it, was, it, was, it was vigorous and fun, and I loved every minute. Men love working with chainsaws. Can we just admit that? And then go eat meat afterwards. I don't know. It's just being a man. It's in us. And uh, in the old days, it was axes, and praise God, we don't have to do that. But um, I gave my little kid an axe, and I'm like, follow behind me and cut down the little ones. And I'm just like, ah, ah. And, and <laughs> I turn back. He's like eight and, and not very strong yet, and, and he's got this big axe, and he's like, Ugh. And like, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and about halfway through our day, he's like, you got it so easy. And I'm like, you're right, I do. I'm so sorry, buddy. <laughs> but I, was, I did so much by the end of the day. I couldn't, this, this is a tiny chainsaw, a little one. And I couldn't hardly lift it. <sighs> oh, man. And I finally put it down. And I'm not kidding you. You ever do this? I let go of the handle, and my hand is frozen. And I'm like, <sighs> like Jesus did a miracle. The man stretched out his hand. Oh, it was amazing. You ever have that happen? I worked so long and hard. I loved every minute of it because I was making progress. Stuff was happening. I was clearing paths and trails. I could look back and be like, wow, look at that path. That's amazing. did it so long, the next day, apparently, there's these muscles in your back <laughs> between your shoulder blade and spine. I didn't know they were there, but they were hurting, and then I found out they were there, right? They got worked. Y'all got faith muscles you don't even know you have because they're faith muscles for spiritual warfare, and when you engage them, you're going to, ooh, they're there, and you're going to look back and see progress. You're going to emotionally and mentally feel the freedom in your life. And you're going to like, I like this. And we're going to do it so much. God's been saying prophetic word over and over. Your hand's going to freeze to the sword. Oh, I did it all day long and it's oh. I think God wants our sword fused into our hand. The sword of the spirit. Just fused. This is like Iron Man. It's like, it's a hand, but anytime I want, there's a sword there. It's just fused into us. And that comes with repetition and study and 
practice. So you're going to practice on yourself. You're going to practice on your family. And you're going to see them getting free. And you're going to be like, I didn't know a family could be this way. It's amazing. Then you're going to start practicing in your church. You're going to start practicing in your community. And that's where we're going. And the Lord's training us, starting with us, to get us free. And after those months of training, it's like boot camp. Then we're going to get to help set other people free. Even whole cities. We'll get to go in and fight for them, teach them how to do these things, set them free, train them. And so I had big plans for today. And the Lord's like, I love the plans. But Rome wasn't conquered in a day. Neither were the gates of hell. And so slow down a little bit, bite-sized chunks. That was really, first service last week, I was really frustrated. I had so much to share. And I looked up and, like, I preached for 40 or 45 minutes. It was, like, two minutes. I'm like, what happened? Um, so we're really going to unpack this. It's going to be fun. I want to encourage you, if you're at all able to prepare thyself, uh, go to the Open Heaven Ministry Training this coming Saturday in this room right here. They're coming here. Uh, this is where I initially got trained in 2016. Great model ministry. Harold learned from a guy named Pablo Batari, who's from South America, Argentina, I believe, who is probably the foremost deliverance minister in the world. And Harold Oberschlake learned from him. He, Pablo was in Cincinnati, and Harold knew him, and they, he prayed over him, and he received a powerful impartation from him, and yada, yada, so on and so forth. Many, many, many ministries in the U.S. and all over the world, sorry, use Pablo Batari's methods because he did deliverance so much. You want to talk about hand freezing of the sword. He learned a whole lot about it, and this was his main thing for decades. Um, his, he was part of a ministry that was very spirit-filled. They did crusades for millions of people. You know, like think, think of spirit, like Holy Spirit gifted Billy Graham, right, who talked about all the gifts of the spirit. And by the way, that's not a put down. I love Billy Graham, and that was his purpose, and that's great. But I'm just saying, this guy went into the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit and all that. And a huge thing of their meetings was deliverance, because in South America, there's so much occultism. You want to talk about being bound? Like literally possessed people who are trying to become Christians, and they get, you know, resistance. <clears throat> so they end these meetings by, he would do a prayer, and everybody that had a demon would manifest. And that's a term we use to the demon makes itself known. And the person is not meaning to. They're out of control. This demon takes over because Jesus is starting to pull them out, and they're just like, Wah! you know, and they lose it, right? And uh, <laughs> I can feel the anxiety raising as even I talk about it. I think it's funny. When you, <laughs> it's not funny for the person. It's just, we need to be compassionate towards them. And Pablo talks about that in his book, Free in Christ, which you should read. The person has no idea what's going on. Many times it's hidden. They don't even know they had a demon until they try to come to Jesus. Blah, right? Some of you experience that. You have a demonic issue and you go to read your Bible and it's fuzzy and you get confused and you're like, oh, you fall asleep, whatever. I'm not saying every time you fall asleep. But those of you who know what I'm talking about, you can't pray, you can't read your Bible. It's a demonic oppression. You have that in your life. If that's you, go to this training this weekend, shoot us an email and say, that's me. I want to get rid of this. We'll help you. And, and we can make it leave. And you'll be free of it, okay, if you're a believer in Jesus. Whew. So anyways, where was I? Pablo Batari. 
So he, this dude was a Baptist cessationist barber till he was 50 years old. That means he was a traditional Baptist who didn't believe in the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit and deliverance ministry, who cut people's hair. And he went to this guy's ministry, and he saw radical things, and he began praying into it, and is like, this is God. And one of his spiritual leaders at his church was like, this is, he, and he basically said, you know, this guy knows things we don't know because he's willing to partner with the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for that man of God because it blessed Pablo. And he's like, I'm going to keep going and see what happens. And he gets filled with the spirit. And then long, he cuts the guy's kid's hair. He's sitting there one day right next to his family. And the, the, the guy's, Carlos, whatever his name, you remember his name? Anaconda or some Anacondita or something like that. I don't know. Go read the book. Anyways, he's sitting by this guy's family and their kids. And he's cutting, uh, they need a haircut. And his wife's like, man, my kids need a haircut. And they're like, he's a barber. And so he cuts their hair. He starts cutting the whole family's hair, get to know each other. Long story short, gets in, they said, hey, get involved in the ministry. He does. They have a deliverance tent. So all these people freak out with demons at the end of the services with thousands and thousands of people. They carry them on stretchers to the deliverance tent where a specified team can work with them to help get them free. It's like exorcist ministry on a widespread scale, which just sounds exciting, doesn't it? And so... Um, he got involved with that, served in the tent. Then he became the leader of that tent. So you're talking hundreds of people every night over decades. And they kept records and all this stuff. And so in the book, he says his team personally oversaw the deliverances of over a million people. He personally has overseen the personal deliverance of over 30,000 people. This guy knows what he's talking about, Okay. What I find fascinating is Harold Oberschlake learned from him. His model's great, Open Heaven, what they do. So go to that this weekend. It's $99. If you have trouble with the fee, let us know, and we'll try to help any way we can. We want as many people to be trained as possible. And it's just 101. I mean, this is just the basics, learning the basics. They'll pray for you at the end. Some of you are going to go to that, and you're going to get prayed, trained. You're going to have knowledge, revelation. You're going to get prayed for it, and you're going to get set free from a whole host of things you've been struggling with for years. And you're going to go, wow, everything Aaron says is right. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Jesus is real. It's the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness, now I want to know more. And so it's going to be awesome. So go to that. But Paulo Batari has this teaching, and now there's this Catholic priest that the Lord's lifting up who has his own podcast called The Exorcist Files. And uh, there's so many other guys now because this coming movement of God is going to be one of deliverance. Because through mass media and all the sin and the internet and all that, demonic attachments are happening at a catastrophic level. So we need deliverance ministry back in the house of God. And we don't need to be embarrassed of it or afraid of it. It's like the first time I was in a a meeting, about 30 people, all African-Americans up in Detroit, Pentecostal African-American church house meeting. And everybody's worshiping, praying in tongues. And I was like, what is happening right now? It's amazing. And, uh, the, and this lady falls over next to me, and she's screaming. And the pastor's just, everybody's singing a praise song, and he's just like, it's a demon. It's a demon. Like, like no, don't worry, it's just a demon. And he just walks over and, like, prays over the girl and all this, and she gets up, and then she gets saved right in that moment. He's like, it's fine, it's fine. And, and the church is like, oh, praise the Lord. And they just kept going, and I was like, what is happening? And I went with my friend Ryan, so there was one other white guy there, it was him, and he grew up in the hood in Detroit, and he's a gangster, like, used to be a gangster, but he got saved. Now he's a financial advisor. Anyways, he was there with me, and on our way, he invited me to go. He's like, you gotta go to this church, this is amazing, man, this is okay. And I'm like, cool, let's go. It was, in the, it was in the ghetto in Detroit. I mean, the ghetto, all right? And so we get down there, and on the way, he's like, man, yeah, last time I came, he got saved at this church, and then he came to our church, because he lived closer. 
And so he's telling me on the way what happened, and he's like, he's like, yeah, last time I was here, I brought one of my friends I used to gangbang with. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, we're sitting there worshiping, everybody's singing. And we're on the way to this, by the way. He's like, yeah. And my friend's sitting there, and he's like, he just starts saying, I'm just trying to sing and worship. And my friend starts saying, I don't want to kill Ryan. I don't want to kill Ryan. I don't want to kill Ryan. And his name's Ryan. And he goes, what? Like, what is happening? And his friend's like, has his eyes closed doing this. I don't want to kill Ryan. He has his hand in his pocket, pulls out a gun and throws it on the floor and goes, I don't want to kill Ryan. I don't want to kill Ryan. And the, you know what the pastor does? It's a demon. It's a demon. Prays over the kid, falls on the floor, gets free, gets up. Oh, you believe now? Okay, now you want Jesus. All right, cool. Kid didn't, that never happened before. It never happened before he was in the presence of God with people who knew what they were doing. So God, Jesus, Holy Spirit knew it's safe for this to happen here because this is a hospital and these people can get rid of this. He's walking home free. He's walking home knowing Jesus and free of that thing. So it can't come back because he knows Jesus and has the Holy Spirit in there. Woo! And we're on the way. And I'm like, oh, that happened last time? Okay, all right, okay, all right. And thank God nobody with a gun was there at the time I went. But this lady over here spazzed out, hit the floor. This is just a demon. And it was. And a man of God who knew what he was doing with the name of God <laughs> made it leave. And she got up free. And then we just kept right on singing. And we praised God. And then he gave a word or not. There's somebody here with a stomach issue, and you've been having this for a long time, and it's affected you for years. And he describes in detail, excruciating detail. This is, not a, this is not a crowd of thousands of people. Like, somebody has lower back pain. It's like half the crowd. You're like, okay, everybody has lower back pain. No, this was like, I was like, what is happening right now? This is also during the worship song. And this other lady over here, about three people down from me, goes, it's me. You know, I didn't tell anybody. I was He's like, come on, I'm going to pray for you, all right? Lord's going to heal you. Praise over. I'm like, what is happening? Holy Spirit was moving. That's what's happening. And so, anyways, whew. where were we? <laughs> Pablo Batari. He wrote a book called Free in Christ. It's a short, quick read. It's awesome. Dude knows what he's talking about. The Catholic priest, I forget his name, Exorcist Files is his podcast. That might be a little steep for some of you. Mm-mm. So, Maybe don't start there. Because um, <laughs> you don't want to have fear. And uh, this, there is nothing to fear. But their first game is deception. And if that doesn't work and you become aware, then they start with intimidation. And you should fear us. We're going to kill you. Blah. And it, No, you're not. Like, but if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know about these things, that can happen. So anyways, the cool, what I'm trying to say is, God's lifting up all these deliverance ministers from different denominations. And the Catholic priest, geez, he's saying the same thing Paulo Batari says in his book. And they didn't learn from each other. And geez, I'm learning from these guys who minister to people in satanic ritual abuse, which are babies that are born into the occult that don't even have ID numbers because they don't give them one because they're not in a hospital because it's evil and they have evil intent. And they start doing horrific things to these kids. I'm not even going to describe from the time they're young to fragment them and cause so much they put demons in them and all this stuff, and they do all these horrible things. And all those guys that minister to those people are saying what Pablo Batari is saying, and they're saying what this Catholic priest is saying. And they're all saying the same things about this is what's going on in the world, and this is how it works, and we need to get empowered, and we need to get trained. 
Isn't that interesting? And I'm just overjoyed because it gives credibility. And it's like God is, God's bringing the Holy Spirit gifts back to the church. He's empowering his church in our generation. And that's been going on for a few generations. That's been going on since after the Reformation, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because the Catholic Church was in power for so long, and there's one church, and, 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 and they were so compromised. I mean, when you're telling people to get saved, you have to pay money selling of indulgences. You don't think the Holy Spirit was quenched, and you wonder why we weren't seeing spiritual gifts happen? Until the 1500s when they get free of that, and now there's the Reformation, and now it's all these autonomous churches springing up. And now, if the ones that are really sold out, the Holy Spirit's like, boom, Moravians in the 1700s. They really love me. They're all in. Full of the Holy Spirit. Starts a 100-year prayer movement. I mean, just craziness. And so God's been pouring out his spirit. He's, rest- he's restoring the spiritual gifts, and he's restoring faith to the, to the church. He's restoring. Holy Spirit's real. All this is real. We're still in the world. The, you realize the same demons Jesus drove out? They're still here. You realize that, right? People come and go. Demons are eternal, right? Oh, Okay. Where'd they go? Oh, they're here. Their strategy in America is we're under the surface and we're hidden. We don't exist, guys. That's our strategy here. All over in Africa, they believe in us. They believe in all these. Okay, let's make people spaz out. Make them think we're the more powerful God. So the battle over there is, is Jesus is a God. Okay, that's cool. Is he more powerful than these gods or the gods of my ancestors or the witchcraft I do? Because I know that works. Your Holy Spirit more powerful than that? And the answer is yes. But when the cessationist guys over there, they don't know what to do with that. Well, yeah, he's more powerful. What do we do? I don't know what to do. And so the battle's growing stronger. The, the battle here is it's under the service. I don't exist, blah, blah, blah. In America, oh, this guy's crazy. He's going over time. You don't like this church. Go to the one down the street, and they won't make you uncomfortable. And you can sit in your stronghold there. I don't want a bunch of people here. I want every church knowing and believing what I've come to know because I'm free and I know how to get others free. So I want all the churches free. I don't care where you go. I just don't want you in bondage. (laughs) So anyways, a lot of deliverance ministers, God's raising up. They're all saying the same things. Totally awesome. Um, Get ready. We're going to be talking about it more and more and more and more. We're going to get free. We're going to truly be free people (laughs) who free people. So go to OHM's training this weekend, this Saturday. It's really phenomenal. It's 10.30 to 3.30 p.m. with an opportunity for prayer at the end of break for lunch. I guess that's all I'll say for today. So as I've spoken, I know the Holy Spirit stirred up some things in some of you, and this happened last week. And you're like, I think I have oppression going on. I think there's some things I need free of. That's awesome. Come, the Lord's giving you awareness so you can get free. And then he's going to give you a testimony, and then you're going to get trained, and then you're going to go do this. So it's just going to be really cool. And um, so come pray with our ministry team or just talk to him. And we, we may be able to pray through it right here. Sometimes it it's, depends on the issue, but might need to schedule a session uh, with our spiritual health team. Okay, Ruth, can you stand up real quick and turn around and face everyone? You guys know Ruth, right? Yes. Ruth, Ruth is a powerful deliverance minister, Okay. And has been for years. And so thankful God brought her here. And she's our connections pastor. But uh, she's also getting our spiritual health team going again. And overseeing that. So you can email her at ruth at freepeople.church. Or hello at freepeople.church. And she will help set up a session. And you don't have to go into details. Just like, hey, I have some issues. And I would like to pray with some people. Talk and pray through it. 
And so we find a lot of effectiveness even in one two-hour session. And so um, it may take more than that, but I'm just throwing it out there. A lot of effectiveness, a lot of freedom, a lot of healing. And, uh, but go to the training. Go to the training. Go to the training. It'll be so much more effective. It's going to get you started on this journey. So I'm going to pray. If you need prayer, come up and talk to somebody. Um, yeah, if you have demonic issues in your home, like haunted house ghosts and stuff, that's not ghosts. It's demons masquerading. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can make that stop, make it leave your house. So come up and talk to us. That happens a lot. That's happened a lot in our church family, one little church in Brown County, Ohio. Super prevalent because, you know, everything I'm saying is true, and, uh, and it's super prevalent all over. So anyways, felt led to say that. Come on up. Uh, if you need help with that, I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your word today. <sighs> we didn't get the story of Gideon fully, uh, but we got where we needed to get. And I thank you for that, that we're, we've been laid siege to, but you've brought awareness today. You're bringing awareness. You're raising us up. You're raising up an army to surround the enemy and to set your people free. And so I thank you for that. And uh, I just pray that you would draw us in and give us faith for this. And, uh, yeah, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.